Hello, everybody, and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid. It's our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my buddy, Christine. How are you doing, Christine? I'm good. How are you, Dylan? I'm doing quite well. I'm going through the rigorous task of trying to buy a car and not end up with a hunk of junk from someone on Craigslist. <laughs> sounds sounds like a lot of fun. I'm I'm not actually I'm not jealous of your situation. Yeah, you are known for being really smart when it comes to cars and I'm known for risky gambles. <laughs> Joining us remotely on the phone is Aaron Hardick. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm good, Dylan. I'm in Washington DC. So that that is where I am. Uh, for our listeners, we Christine likes to make jokes that she doesn't ever know where I am. So earlier this week, she photoshopped a picture of my face um, onto Carmen San Diego and said, where in the world is Aaron Hardick? It was pretty funny. But I, I'm in D.C. right now, Christine. But I Why am are... leaving tonight, so I won't be in D.C. later. Why are you in D.C.? Uh, I was here to attend the Washington Advanced Energy uh, Stakeholder Meeting run by uh, H.G. Chazelle. Um, so I attended a dinner on Wednesday night, and then the actual stakeholder meeting was uh, yesterday morning. Was that fun? Yeah, no, it, it was um, really productive. The topic was around critical infrastructure and, and microgrids, and they're just focused on um, how do they tackle some of the problems that they're having around uh, critical infrastructure and microgrids in in the D.C. area. So it's kind of nice they get to really narrow down um, what are what are the drivers for these things, these investments in the community, and start to work out those challenges together and in and, and one place, bringing all those stakeholders together and start to address and unpack those issues. It's always um, refreshing and um, very uh always very um, informative. So I, I had a good time attending. That sounds like a lot of fun, Aaron. Today, the, our episode is being sponsored by Siemens, and they have brought none other than the head honcho himself, pre- the president of Siemens, Mike Carlson. How are you doing today, Mike? Well, now uh, I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I am doing fantastic. That's wonderful. But I probably now, given how you describe my title, I am president, but not of the entire Siemens group, but rather the digital grid business for Siemens in North America. I so you do were, appreciate uh, the, uh, the promotion, though. I was going to say, you were about to get a big promotion here on Z Prime on the Grid. Absolutely. that, uh, And if, if it would carry weight in Germany, I I might take it. Exactly. Uh, so then, yeah, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about what uh, being president in this space means? Well, it, it's an exciting space. I've been in this uh, energy and uh, electric utility space for uh, over 20 years. I started uh, with Arthur Anderson in a consultative and accounting role, financial, uh, basically, uh, and that led to utility operations and uh, got involved with a merger of two equals back in uh, early 2000s, actually late 1999, that's a while ago. And um, as a result of that, got interested that there's a lot more that this industry has to offer uh, and needs uh, that I actually left the consulting uh, practice and joined Excel Energy 
as uh, its original uh, PMO officer for what was a pretty big uh, set of dollar investments around technology. And one thing led to another uh, and was fortunate enough to serve in the CIO role uh, for just over five years. And then uh, the opportunity came to me to uh, look at not how utilities are using technology, but rather how industry is building technology. And um, gave me an opportunity to join the other side, so to speak, and uh, uh, was fortunate enough to join uh, GE originally, um, but then uh, Siemens uh, gave me an opportunity that was just too exciting to pass up, and that's to lead our digital grid business in North America. And the challenges of uh, remaking the grid, the opportunities for bringing differentiated and what I would say exceptional solutions to the market, and really helping the utilities transition themselves from an old analog-based operation to one that includes a very digital and automated capability to go along with the people that serve all the uh, recipients of energy across you know, North America and um, the globe. Uh, that just was too much to pass up. So I've been with Siemens a little over uh, four years, uh, run a great group of people in North America that Compass software, uh, hardware, and consulting services, and uh, hopefully we're continuing to make a difference here as the utilities and the energy industry as a whole look to how they're going to meet the challenges of the next decade uh, and century, really. Yeah, and we were excited to have you on uh, because you're focusing so hard on this digital space. Uh, you, you guys, you in particular, are going to be at ETS this upcoming March, and the theme for ETS is Dream and Digital. Uh, so, I mean, that seems right up your alley. So, what do you think the digital dream is for the energy industry? Well, I think you know the one thing to keep in mind about it is it's going to be an evolving and iterative dream that uh, I don't see an endpoint to. One of the things this industry got caught up in. Um, Oh, about 10 years ago, maybe even a little more, was the concept of a smart grid. And definitely the the foundation of a smart grid was something that deserved to be caught up in. But then the optics of what that was and that it had an endpoint, uh, just it, I think it, it took people in the wrong direction. So the concept of where a digital grid is going to go is to take arguably what is one of the oldest and most complex machines ever built that provides, and it's not a stretch to look at it as a, a life-sustaining service, not to mention or, or ignore the fact that it's, it's a societal underpinning to, to allow us to function. How that's going to move forward from that old analog machine, if you will, or very physics-based rotating equipment and wires and devices that deliver a reliable source of energy and electricity to us, how that machine can be evolved into its next generational state. And the digitalization of the information that's available in these machines is almost infinite. And um, 
if you look at the concept that, you know, there's 20 billion machines in the world that can produce data and the data, if it's properly collected and analyzed and put in the front of the right decision makers, both human and in artificial intelligence, what we can do with the existing infrastructure and existing machine is exponentially more than we're already doing with it. And we can do it cheaper, we can do it faster, and we can do it with an increasing reliability, sustainability, uh, and economic and environmental contribution than we're doing today. So uh, where it's going to go is all fostered by and, and I think um, supported by enabling that digital access of information, situational status, analytics, and then ultimately control in an optimized model. Mike, it's, it's interesting that you, you know, you bring up the, the assets and how much information um, we can really pull out of these assets. Christine, you know, we started recently, I think it was like in the past week or so, um, we started having the discussion about uh, how much visibility do the utilities actually have into the assets. So, like, I think we're starting to see that um, there is some, there are some parts um, of the grid that utilities really feel like they need more visibility in and they need to understand how connected these assets are where they, they may not be as connected. So what are you seeing, Mike, in terms of the visibility that utilities have in, in the grid and, and how is Siemens kind of helping them with that? You know, people, I think they understand the grid more today than they did yesterday, and that's a good thing. But the visibility into the grid uh, one thing, it varies by utility and actually by region of our country and across the globe. Um, and so the first thing that the visibility of the grid, transmission systems which move power from the generation to the, the city, the neighborhood, the street, if you will, that transmission system has always been the focus, bulk transmission. And that part of the, you know, the high uh, voltage transmission wires and towers that crisscross our country, that's been fairly uh, monitored and, if you will, digitalized for, you know, several decades. And so understanding um, what the condition of those transmission assets are, uh, the utilities have a strong and, uh, you know, really well-matured process in seeing what's going on there. Equally, the power plants, the generating assets that have uh, powered the country, they're well monitored, they're well uh, um, analyzed, uh, they're controlled with a lot of digitalization. Uh, you would think anything, you know, take our nuclear industry, those are arguably the most critical and you would never want to think that there's not that information flow. But once you come off the, the main transmission and generation assets of the country, you drop into the distribution, the substation in your neighborhood. And that's where visibility and connectivity have um, lagged. That also addresses the fact that utilities are gathering more and more, more and more data. And that's a huge part of the digitalization process is they have access to more data quicker than ever before. Uh, how are these companies utilize, utilizing this data 
and how are they protecting the data? Yeah, two great points. So from a utilization perspective, it's both a plus and a minus. The first thing is just having access to it to either analyze after an event occurs to understand how to fix it or prevent it from occurring again, to just giving the situational awareness to the utility operators, whether they're sitting in the control center, you know, in a basement uh, or an underground facility to sitting in a truck able to be dispatched to a problem. So they've got that human factors and ability to, to see what's going on through digital representation. But that's also a downside as we start to inundate our system operators with so much information. How do we make sure it's not just data, but how do you make sure it's smart data that they can be responsive to as opposed to being confused by? And so as those types of uh, as we collect more and more data, it's imperative that we put it in front of a actionable point, and in this case, it's usually a human, that they can do something effective and accurate with. Now, as this gets more and more real-time and bigger and bigger from a data set, you're going to see more automation coming into play that interacts with the data, not in a representative way, but in an actionable rules-based way that turns it into artificial intelligence. And because of the data and the algorithms and analytics that are applied to the data in real time, they now start to act on behalf of the operator, or behalf of the human, and give us a more efficient and uh, better performing machine at the end of the day. Now, Mike, you've talked about um, the, a lot of the technology pieces you know, data analytics, and you you were talking about that that human piece right there. I, I mean, to me, it seems like a lot of this is you know not just that that technology, but you know how the the culture of organizations come together, you know how people come together, and you know some of these some of these initiatives that people are looking at. I mean, they can be difficult to do, you know, depending on you know the viewpoints of different departments and and them having to work together. I mean, what do utilities really need to be doing about creating more of that culture of innovation and really, you know, embracing this, this data. So when it comes to them, you know, they are ready to use it and, and really leverage it across their organizations. Yeah, that organizational change, if you will, is, is a big part of it. And I think the one thing uh, I've been in the industry with the utilities for just over 20 years that's one of the things that to me is the most evident of change is that the utilities are embracing uh, this either by necessity or opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing them recognize that their workforce, their culture even needs to be embracing what is the next generation of uh, utility. And it's going to be very much predicated on a digital data driven uh, organization to go along with, not to replace, but to go along with their physical infrastructure of generating and delivering energy. So uh, you can look at almost any part of the country now and see leadership that didn't exist five and 10 years ago in that innovation, whether it's groups of people that are set up not to operate the grid, but to analyze it and figure out better ways to approach it. The investment in R&D 
uh, is a tough, tough challenge for utilities based on how their revenue and recovery of cost structures based as a monopolistic entity run by, you know, in most cases, a public utility commission. So investing in that R&D has been a challenge because there's always the question from the consumer and the regulator whether it's well spent. But both the regulator and the utilities are moving forward to where you see more innovative investment in R&D than you've ever seen before. I mean, I think that, that like you talked about, that, you know, every utility in, in different parts of the country are, you know, facing different challenges and opportunities that are really shaping their digital strategies and, and where they're going. Um, I, I think it's really interesting you bringing up, you know, the, this this change management piece, you know, really helping organizations move forward to to what's next. And a lot of times when people talk about that, I, I it always seems to be around this change from, you know, looking at things from more of this analog standpoint to you know, more of a digital standpoint. But like you mentioned earlier, you know, the, the focus around, you know, smart grid initially, um, you know, maybe that, you know, had gotten people off track a little bit, or, you know, maybe they, they needed to think about things more broadly. And we also had a, a podcast we just did with Rayford Smith from Intergy, and he really talked about some of the challenges he had seen at utilities looking to better use the data and analytics they have and how, you know, having AMI meters in place, having this existing MDM system has has made it challenging for them to look at, you know, analytics from more of this enterprise perspective. So I guess my question really is from, you know, sort of this, almost like this first generation sort of digital smart grid, you know, AMI experience to, you know, where we are today. I mean, what are you seeing in terms of, of, of kind of managing that change and helping people move from some of those earlier technologies to some of the things that we're talking about today? Yeah, it's a great question. And Rayford and I connect every now and then about some of the challenges, given we both have been in in utilities in the past. He still remains. I'm one of you know the providers to him now in these solutions. And it's not just about making the technology work, but how the people get to interact with it. And I, you know, there, there's so many different methods being applied right now. Some, you know, I think the fastest adoption is when you have no other way to solve your problem, but through that, if you will, not to overuse the term, the digitalization. And one example of that is, you know, when you start to drop thousands of uh, TV units uh, into your network, you, you and and they're devices that you don't own. The utility doesn't own. They don't operate. By necessity, you've got to start using technology to understand what it's doing to your grid or about to do to it. So necessity is always a great driver for change. Uh, it's just a matter of how in your face, if you will, maybe that necessity is because a lot of the industry is there driving to we need to change. Those are the tougher environments we're very good at reacting to we must change. So that's one way it's occurring, that must change factor that in unless we start using this screen with this data at this time interval, we're not going to be able to keep our grid stable and we'll have disastrous outcomes from you know device destruction to uh, there's a safety factor involved if things start to blow up to 
you know, the brownouts and blackouts that occur, that, that's a huge motivating factor for change. I think that the bigger challenge is when they want to be proactive in change. And so one of the things that I've seen several utilities uh, and technology providers doing are how do I prove value? Not just articulate capability, but prove value. And the better we are at proving value to ourselves, the more adoptive to change we're willing to make. So it used to be that this technology was rolling out into the industry just to prove the technology. Now you see that the innovation labs and the R&D labs have as much business value proposition, whether it's uh, less minutes out, more capability into a part of the, the grid in the neighborhood without hanging more equipment on the poles to what is a better economic output. Those things are being combined with the technologies. And when operators can see the definitive business outcome of the technology, as opposed to just the technology outcome, that's also driving a better adoption rate. Then you've got the project delivery, which I think is employing a lot of, uh, you know, existing and proven techniques of change management. But as they start to all come together, you're starting to get cultural change within organizations that, let's face it, this uh, industry not well known for its embracement of change. And it's reasonable to understand. It's a critical infrastructure. It's a dangerous product, and we just don't change overnight. We're based on protecting the status quo from an operating perspective for our customers and for our society. So as that uh, combination of you know, innovation, change, approach within projects, that all comes together, you start to see a more adoptive group of people to look at things that can make not only their lives as a utility employee better, but they understand we'll make a better product for the customers that they serve. I'd like to address that that notion that you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're saying that uh, the the shift to digitalization is happening slower than it should because of the nature of the industry being. Uh, being slow to embrace this kind of change. I think some of our research has shown actually a, an enthusiasm for it. I remember uh, in an ebook we just published, even though half of our surveyed North American utilities said that uh, said that they they haven't yet seen an increase in quality or efficiency of their of their power uh, generation and distribution through their DERs, uh, over seventy six percent of them believe that they're going to that in the next like five years, they're going to be seeing the results they want. And they seem to be largely enthusiastic about it. Aaron, um, um, you've worked on the research more than I have. Are you seeing an enthusiasm for a digital future in the reports we're putting out? Yeah, and I I definitely think that's true, Dylan. I, I think there is enthusiasm there. However, I mean, it's more so how do you take that enthusiasm and create a strategy that you can implement and start to reap these benefits, these this business value, the ROI from the technology. So we have to move past just having enthusiasm about the future um, and really start to you know, create strategies 
um, to realize the value. But I think you're right, Dylan. I think the enthusiasm is there. Yeah, I think also too, just the complexity. I mean, as as Mike's been talking here, I'm I'm reminded of all the different, you know, pieces that have to come together, the technologies, the integration, dealing with and and working through cultural issues. Um, you know, people, people always make things very interesting. Um, just how to bring that all together, right? And how, how to do it in, in, in a cohesive way. Uh, a lot of times I feel like companies look at, they look at more of, you know, these, these quick wins or, or ways to build momentum when, you know, in the long term, they're really going to have to look at that bigger picture of, of how it all starts to tie together to, to really have that success and, and to really realize, um, you know, these, these ideas and, and the enthusiasm they, they have for them. Yeah, I think there's there's enthusiasm without a doubt, guys, but there's also the challenges of all the things that, you know, the utility is responsible for and the economics related to it. So digitalization and the enthusiasm goes along with the investment. And, you know, one of the things we've seen continually is, you know, when you've got uh, the physical infrastructure needing investment, whether it's a rotten pole or uh, a failing underground wire, that's very tangible to them. They they know it's there. They know when they spend whatever amount of money they spend, they're going to have a, a definitive fix to the situation. Technology, not only in the utility and energy industry, but in any uh, industry that applies it, especially new technology, carries a different kind of risk because there's so many variables that go along with getting the value from it. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers for that enthusiasm turning into, you know, the the tangible adoption. And I think the regulatory models and, you know, the revenue and business models have a big impact that the utilities have to balance as well. And those are things that the average consumer, you know, somebody who's not in the industry and understands how it works in the back room, so to speak, they don't understand those things. And hence, you you don't get always, hey, we'd love to see this happen. Why don't we see it happening? Uh, those things don't get connected as often as maybe we, we need to demonstrate and explain. I mean, I imagine security's got to be a, a piece of that as well. Cybersecurity definitely affects the economic aspect of it in that you, you know, generally have to pay someone or form a partnership with someone to protect these digital systems. And also because you have to meet these regulatory uh, concerns over it, that that is a big piece of that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, very much. And you mentioned that earlier in your question. We we kind of uh, overlooked it. But the cyber uh, component of this, well, it's been recognized uh, in the industry you know, for, again, the, the last decade's been this big change. Um, as we digitalize more and more of it, as we connect more and more of these machines, that cyber factor becomes just you know, so much bigger than it is today. Uh, there was a, a Midwest utility that uh, a month ago referenced, I think it was two years ago, they had less than 10 people uh, dedicated to cyber uh, security management. And two years later, they have more than 100. So it's definitely picking up. Um, you know, the good part about all the capabilities 
that we can offer through digitalization is offset with the risk that every time we connect the next machine, the next device, the next customer, you open up another door, so to speak, for it to be, you know, put at risk through through the cyber management uh, side of the equation. So good news is we're seeing more of it and the investment, but there's a lot to learn from other industries that have, have extended themselves digitally, you know, much, much broader and, uh, and deeper than maybe the utilities industry sits at today. You take a look at what goes on in finance, even at the government and defense levels that are leveraging digitalization and interconnected systems and machines, they clearly have just as much of a threat for cyber that uh, the utility and energy industry does. So there's a lot of learning and ability. We don't have to create new. We've just got to adopt uh, the learnings from, from our colleagues and peers in other industries and then modify or adjust them to meet the uniqueness of this one. Uh, this is a, just a little bit of a tangent, but I think two, there were two events last year that were, that were really important and kind of a, a shock for what the digital future kind of means. It puts it in, put it, put it into a different perspective. The first was the uh, cyber attack on the Ukraine power grid that took it down the whole grid down for a little while. And the other was the Equifax hacking, which didn't happen in energy, but it sort of woke consumers, the average consumer up to the, the fact that their, that their data is being collected, packaged and, traded and sold. Uh, so I think, I guess this isn't really a question, just more, just more an open-ended statement, but I think those, those two events specifically really put into perspective what the potential dangers of the digital, uh, the digital space are, and really puts, put more pressure on folks in the energy industry to make sure that those problems are addressed for the security of people's information and for the security of the grid itself, I think that 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 is uh, it's a it's real food for thought when it comes to the digitalization space. And like you said, it also does ultimately then pressure regulators in into putting utilities into a certain spot, and can also and also adds extra costs to make sure that things are really secure. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that. Um... You know, from a variety, there's, if you look at the cybersecurity of the grid, there's really three dimensions that you've got to look at. Um, one, and I think the most important, is the grid operations. The, you know, the Ukraine reference of, could somebody, through a cyber uh, intrusion, shut down our electricity? And there's two ways to consider that. Shutting it down just for the inconvenience and impact of not having electricity but if shut down in a in a very coordinated and you know planned way, it could actually drive destruction back into the equipment um, if done you know effectively. So that's number one. Number two is you've got the information related to the consumers of the grid and that cyber threat and information security is the same as whether you're talking about the utility or Target Corp or any of the banking, you know, any institution that holds personal private data um, and needs to secure that. And so in that case, if, 
you know, not to say that, you know, intrusions are always going to happen, but uh, the utilities have done pretty well in that thus far. Uh, they've not been the ones that have been in the news with, you know, millions of uh, personal records hacked as opposed to, you know, the, the retail spaces or the web companies or, in your case, the Equifax uh, debacle. But then there's a third dimension of how the grid is configured. Where do the assets sit? How are the assets interconnected? That's the third dimension that people probably don't recognize that that information could also be used uh, for it definitely the wrong purposes and give intruders an insight into how the grid is connected that would turn into or could turn into a different type of a physical uh, destruction or uh, exploitation of how we configure power flows you know, from the generation all the way to the consumers. And so all three of those have to be bundled together into, into effective cybersecurity. And usually people look at that as intrusion prevention, people getting into the system. But you also have to look at the complete asset supply chain. As we digitalize more and more, you actually have to go back to the factories who are building this stuff, making sure that their processes are secure and that the chips and communication devices and uh, logic that we're embedding actually on the grid, in the field, at the edge of, that they're equally secure. So it's a big challenge. Um, fortunately, you know, as we digitalize more and more, we, we're seeing a what I believe is a pretty balanced uh, expansion of cyber capability to go along with digitalization expansion. Yeah, and so I think I think because of all that, it then makes it a little it then makes it a little bit more understandable why you know the the digital the digital future isn't coming as quickly as you might think with the availability of technology because of because like you said people don't take all these factors into account when they when they ask well where is it i think the other thing that people don't recognize that digitalization and automation is providing is preventing the things that would have occurred without it. So if you think about all the um, distributed generation that's being injected into the grid, I as a homeowner can put, you know, to the extent I've got roof and property, I can build my own PV array and inject a certain amount of power into the grid. And I, I technically don't have to tell the utility about it. I don't have to tell them when it comes on and when it comes off. But if enough of that happens, it surges back through the grid. How does the utility protect the grid to remain stable? They're the balancing operator, if you will. And they're using technology to maintain what we've been used to for so long. But it's another example when the consumer says, I don't see it. Well, if the, you, if the grid continues to operate in the way you've always been used to, you might not understand what you're seeing, but that stability of the grid along with all the new variability being injected into the grid is an outcome of digitalization to a large extent. We've seen that in conversations with uh, FPL where they, you know, they, they talked about how they were so excited you know, for the the way their grid responded to 
you know, some of some of the recent hurricanes and and felt like, you know, they were able to get power back on much more quickly than they would have been able to in the past uh, and really deal with it a lot more effectively where, you know, customers see it and they say, oh, you know, my power is still out. Right. It's it's gone out. I'm upset about this. But, you know, really, there's this alternative that, um, you know, could have happened if that digitalization hadn't been in place. And, and, and customers, a lot of times, just don't, you know, realize all those things that are going on behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, very hard to prove a negative at times, yeah. and you wouldn't want to prove it huh, at most of the time in this case. So um, that's another factor, and, and it's a complex machine that people, they don't take it for granted. They just don't know it exists. They're used to, I met with a group of students yesterday, um, and they admitted, we just want to come in and, you know, one student said, flip the light on. They said, ah, we don't care about lights, but we want to plug our, our iPhones in. We want to make sure that we have connectivity to the information flow, whether it's through, you know, media or, and we expect it to be there. And we have no idea all the con uh, complexity that is created in delivering it. And in this particular group of students, uh, they experienced an outage for an hour and something the week before that it just frustrated the whole campus, which any outage would. But um, not understanding why it occurred was an interesting discussion with what is kind of the next generation of engineers and, and technologists that are going to run this thing. And I think, too, just the conversations that happen and, you know, kind of these hype cycles, not only within, you know, broader media, but within, you know, industry media and, and research as well, where um, there are these different hot topics that come up and, you know, we, we talk about them and then, you, you know, people start to do them and then we kind of move on to the next topic. Right. So I think a lot of people end up thinking, oh, well, you know, these things are underway, you know, they're, they're happening and, and just the complexity and how long it really takes to make those things actually happen. I think people just don't have a, a great understanding of that, of that either. Then you get into a debate over who's got to educate the consumer. And I think it, it's a much broader group of people. It's not just the utility. It's, you know, I as an industri industry solution provider, I think I've got an obligation. An interesting tidbit, we've always gone into schools. Um, and I, I can't give you the dates that it used to be just the university and tech trade. Um, but we go into fourth graders now. We take mm -hmm. a team of people and we participate with the school and the educators on how to bring energy to fourth graders. That, that is something that, you know, I know when I was a fourth grader, I know when I was an eighth grader, that never happened. <laughs> um, so those kind of things, I think, are, are continuing to expand the understanding of everything we've been talking about today. Yeah, I think that's something that really became clear to me a few years ago where, you know, I'm really into the STEM and STEM education. And I always thought of it really at that high school level, you know, as people are getting into college and then really starting to talk with people about it more deeply. They said, oh, no, you know, you got to get in at elementary. You know, maybe if you're getting in later in, in middle school or junior high, that's almost that's almost too late. So, um, yeah, it really became apparent to me how early this education needs to start so people can really understand how how it all works and, and how they could potentially play a part in it. Yeah, 
So, you know, another example of that, I met with 10, I believe nine um, sophomore and juniors uh, in engineering. There was not one power engineer or electrical engineer in the group. They were mechanical, civil, chemical, and every one of them had a perspective on energy that they wanted to pursue, but from their focus on their educational side of chemical, civil, mechanical. So there's definitely an increased awareness, without a doubt. It's not just the people who want to be electrical engineers that are focused on this topic. Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, a lot of people are very passionate around, I mean, the the, the clean energy piece, sustainability. And um, I, we had a, an intern here a few years ago. His name was Austin Rosenbaum. And uh, I'll give a shout out here to Austin because I, I know he listens to the podcast. Uh, but he, you know, he was actually in power engineering um, and he really was interested in, you know, increasing solar and, you know, we need to have more solar on the grid. And it, it was pretty cool to watch him over the summer, you know, I was like, well, there's, there are a lot of complexities to that. Right. Um, and so he, you know, really took the time to try to understand all these different components and all the different factors that play into it. Um, and it, it was really, I think, I think it was helpful for him to just understand, Hey, you know, there are all these different factors you have to consider when you want to have cleaner energy or more sustainable energy. And, and that just helps people be, you know, more effective within their jobs if they really want to help push that forward. Exactly. Yep. I agree. It sounds sounds like a great advocate, and you know, pushing pushing the envelope is important. The question yeah. is who's doing the pushing and responding. Because without, you know, uh, we talked again with this group where their motto was, you know, think the impossible, and we had a few realists in the room that said, why would you ever want to think the impossible? And it's contrary to if we stay so centered in what we know. How are we ever going to see what might be able to occur with, you know, a little bit of ingenuity and and uh, effort? Oh, that was really that was really deep. <laughs> well, how about you? How about you, Dylan? I mean, and and Aaron too. I mean, you you both are relatively new to the industry, and it seems like you've talked about how much you've learned about the industry over the past couple of years. I mean, did you think much about energy before you started working? Uh. <laughs> Not in particular. Uh, I mostly thought about, I mostly thought about the energy industry in terms of because my dad, my dad works in he works in natural resources for a native tribe in northern Washington, and so my exposure to the energy industry was him complaining about dams. So the environmental and, side was your awareness, Dylan. Yeah, exactly. I knew it strictly yeah. from an from an environmental side. And also from reruns of The Electric Company, which is a program in the <laughs> 70s starring Morgan Freeman. Look it up. I remember it. I, I think I got to saw the, the original broadcast, though, not the reruns. How, how about you, Aaron Hardick? Well, I, I talk about this a lot. And I was actually um, speaking with someone about this topic yesterday morning at the Advanced Energy Stakeholder um, Breakfast Um Mike, I actually got my undergrad in accounting. I heard you mention Arthur Anderson uh, at the beginning of the podcast. So I wasn't exposed to the energy industry really at all. Um, and then I, I fell into working for in the energy industry through Z-Prime, which, um, and that was a social connection for me. So I didn't, no, I didn't really think about um, electricity 
like I never thought about how power was delivered. I didn't think about, you know, the grid. I just would see the the grid. You see the telephone poles, the poles, and they become that's just part of your community. You don't think actively about it and and now I, I do, but I never thought that I would be working in, in energy and, and thinking about these things that I've grown up um, seeing my whole life, but now I have such a different perspective on them. It's, I, I, I didn't feel like I had um, enough exposure to the industry through my curriculum. I went to a pretty small school, um, but I am here and I'm, I'm really excited to be in energy. So I'm happy that the social connection is what, what got me into the industry. I'm an accountant uh, by education, and actually the first 10 years of my career, that's what I did was finance. I did have a unique interest, though, in energy only because my grandfather ran a coal plant in the small town that I grew up in. So I'd been around it, never understood it, until I ended up doing a project for a utility company that had nothing to do with energy. They wanted to build their customers in a different way. And that's how I got introduced to it. And you know, I've, uh, I'll never understand the completeness of it, but you know, everything that I get an opportunity to touch just expands my excitement for what this industry is doing and needs to do. I, I had mentioned, you know, talking about this uh, with, people yesterday at the stakeholder breakfast and I was sitting at, at a table with about seven people and somebody asked, you know, um, how many people here um, finished their undergrad with the intention of being in the energy industry and nobody raised, nobody raised their hand. Um, so I think that energy is pretty interesting in that way. Uh, it's just a lot of people who have found almost, I don't want to say stumbled upon it, but, um, found an interest in it in an unconventional way. And that's what makes it unique. And we can start to take all these different perspectives of people who come from other industries and, and start to address some of you know, the design problems we see on the grid uh, and things like that. So I think energy is unique in that sense. Yeah, and I think growing though and showing the new challenge, you now have people getting interested in energy in that undergrad side. We. Uh, had several that walked up and said, ah, I'm so excited about the jobs that this industry is going to allow me to consider while addressing some of the passion I've got. And it generally around the sustainability and environmental social side of it, uh, there were a few that, that referenced, you know, how to make it a, a different business. Um, but I think that's exciting as well. So what could be better for our industry, but to see a group of people not stumble into it, uh, but actually pursue it from the very beginning of their career path. I, I see, I'm starting to visualize a Z prime survey here where we ask people in the energy industry, you know, did you, did you plan on coming into the energy industry, you know, coming out of, of college or high school? Was that, was that your plan? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just so it's so critical, and it, it's just yeah, we really we really do need to be working on it more. That'll be your next uh, sticky note survey at ETS. Yes, yes. I yeah, love the sticky that, notes. Say, that, that'll be your next uh, survey where you make people stand up and and walk around. <laughs> <laughs> Line up. <laughs> yes. 
All right, we're going to leave it there. I'd like to thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. And a big thanks to Siemens for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you guys as well. It was a, it was a great discussion. I appreciate it. I'd also like to thank you, Aaron, for calling in from the nation's capital. I know you're busy. Of course. Yeah, of course. I'm jetting off um, tonight back to Texas. And hopefully there will be some sun there when I wake up in the morning. I feel like I haven't seen the sun in about six days. But always, as always, it was a pleasure. I had a great time, Dylan. Well, we enjoyed having you. And Christine, thanks for being on, as yeah, always. Yeah, d- definitely, Dylan. Um, good luck with your with your car purchase, and I hope you don't get scammed on Craigslist. Well, by the time this airs, we'll know for certain. And if You'll I have to give us, scammed, keep us I'll updated. Cut it all out. I will cut all of the car conversation out if I do end up getting scammed. Because I don't want to look like a fool. in a well-lit parking lot and you'll be fine. Yeah, that, <laughs> well, I'm not worried about getting robbed. I'm more worried about driving it, <laughs> driving it for a thousand miles and then it just falling apart. As always, you can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find out about the upcoming ETS 18 event at ets18.co that's ets18.co there's still time to register before the event and you're going to be there mike right are you doing a I'm going panel to see you there i think there's a panel and uh quite a bit of content that i'm interested in listening to oh excellent you can find us on social media at dy lockwood at hc underscore richards at Aaron underscore Hardick, and what the heck, at Z Prime underscore research. My name is Dylan. We will see you all next time. <laughs>